Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for this chance to be with you. Today, I want to talk about mental illness. and uh, But before we get to that, I just want to share a little story. Uh, recently, we've had Glenn Osland from Infants on Thrones on the podcast several times to talk about uh, Michael Singer and his formula for relaxing and releasing when our stuff gets run up into by someone else's stuff, or we don't get what we want, or we get what we don't want in this world. And as I talked to Glenn, I told him I, I hadn't yet experienced the spiritual high that comes from relaxing and releasing, that I could see it kept me from having these spiraling out episodes in arguments with my wife or my kids, or feeling like some experience is just a letdown because it's not what I want it to be, or to be bothered because something's happening that I don't want. But about two weeks ago, we had uh, a listener to the podcast came over to our home. I'd met with him before, and he's actually a relative of somebody who I was interacting with in my life uh, quite a bit uh, a couple of years ago. And so I knew this person, good person, cool human being. They came over, and my wife and I and, uh, and him uh, sat down and, and just had a, a really fun conversation that lasted several hours. It was a lot of fun. But whenever I get into conversations, I'm really an introvert. People don't really know this. You would assume somebody who shares their voice on a microphone all the time is an extrovert. I love human beings. I love to be around people. I love to be in space with other humans who are being authentic and transparent and vulnerable. And I, and I seek out those experiences. I love the intimacy of that. And, uh, but I'm not, a, I'm not really a talker in private, in small groups. I tend to kind of hang back a little bit. And over the last few months, I've tried to be more talkative, tried to be more uh, extroverted, even though that's not my style. What people don't know about me is that if, if when my mom was alive, my mom would call me on the telephone to talk to me, and I really just couldn't do long phone calls. One-on-one -on -one phone calls made me get anxious. I would, I would have anxiety uh, seep in. And so when my wife or my mother would call me, these are the two people you would think like, hey, you shouldn't have a problem with a phone call with your wife or your mother. But if you ask my wife, she'll tell you like, no, Bill doesn't like to, Bill doesn't like small conversations. He likes, I, and what it is, is I don't like the pressure of having to perform. Like small talk is just nonsense. I hate small talk. How's your kids? How's the weather? Man, crazy week we all had. Like all that stuff's nonsense. And we all do small talk to ease into the trust and vulnerability of any conversation or any relationship. And maybe we'll do an episode someday talking about that. So we all do it. We go to a party and we start with small talk to try to sense who's a fit, who's not a fit, who's who can we have a trusting, vulnerable conversation with? And sometimes you're at a party where you can't do that at all, and everything is surface level and small talk. And then sometimes you form these deep relationships with people, or you hit it off right away, that you can start to show your cards, and they start to show their cards. 
And then you have these deep, interesting conversations. And I love the deep, interesting conversations, but I don't like to perform. And what I mean by that is I don't want to be expected to do most of the talking. I want to do very little of the talking. I want to add in a few insights here or there, a cool book I'm reading or something I'm thinking about. But I, I don't want to feel like if there's a moment of silence that something's my fault. And it's one of the things I kind of struggle with. And so as this person was over our house and my wife and I are sitting with them and we're having this conversation for two or three hours, there are moments in the conversation, and again, no offense to my wife or this person, there was nothing wrong with either of them, but I tend to get bothered at times when things are either said or things don't go the direction I want. And it's, again, no offense to either of these two, this happens to me on a regular basis when my my kids aren't doing what I want them to do, when somebody takes the conversation in a direction I didn't want it to go, when somebody says something and I wish it would have been said differently, when I worry that someone got their feelings hurt. And I think we all do that to some extent. Some of us do it more than others. And over the last year, two, three, I've been working on just trying to sit present and enjoy the experience as it is. These conversations with Glenn have been so good for me. And this was this on this night, it was the first time I felt this spiritual oneness with the universe as I relaxed and released. I'm sitting there with these two, my wife, this guy, having this great conversation. And there were moments in the conversation where my wife's stuff ran up against my stuff. And there were moments where this guy's stuff ran up against my stuff. And this happens in every conversation to some degree. Um, and in this moment, I, I could tell that was happening, but I, I was not only unaffected by it, I actually enjoyed it happening, leaned into it, and sat there with the biggest smile on my face and feeling this spiritual high while things were going on that would have a year ago annoyed me and had me spiral a little bit. And so I just want to share with you, the listener, that this stuff works. And if it's not working right away for you, stick with it. Think about it. Sit with it. Wrestle with it. Deconstruct it. Reconstruct it. Read other books that talk about it. There are lots of these kinds of approaches of being aware that you're aware, learning to sit in the present moment, learning to handle what comes at you that disrupts you so that it isn't disrupting you. And the idea of relaxing and releasing is that you don't spiral out. Things are going to happen. Some of these things are going to bother you. Some of these things are going to be great, but the great things will come to an end and more bad stuff's going to happen. And I can picture Glenn here over my shoulder saying, Bill, there you are again, good or bad. And I, and I would simply say like life happens and it's constantly changing you're going to have months upon months of good things happen sometimes. And sometimes you're going to have detrimental, tragic things that occupy your mind day in and day out. But relaxing and releasing works. Now let's move on to mental illness. When I was younger, I had, well, I still do have an uncle. Uh, but when I was younger, my uncle, my uncle has his whole life suffered with mental illness uh, it came on when he was an adult. I don't know if he dealt with it as an older teenager or young adult, but when he was married and had kids, suddenly we all in our family became aware that this uncle suffered from, at times, severe mental illness, uh, what I could best describe as schizophrenia. And my uncle was in the front page of the newspaper one time. He had thrown concrete cinder blocks through a hospital window 
And he said that God told him to do it. He was on the front page of our local newspaper. And, uh, and I'll, I'll never forget that. So that event happens, and maybe a year goes by. And this is still kind of a, a, a somewhat funny story in our family that we tell from time to time. But one night, he comes to my parents' home, and you know he's my dad's brother. And he comes to our parents' home, and uh, he asks my mom and dad, says, I just, I'm down on my luck. Can I just stay here for the night? And so my parents, just not really thinking twice about it, it, it you know, I, don't, I don't legitimately hold a grudge against them, but in, in the scheme of things, it probably wasn't the, the smartest decision, but they took this man who was a schizophrenic, who also was feeling a lot of anguish over his marriage falling apart and over the trauma that was happening with the relationships between him and his uh, separated wife and his children. And they took this man who was not in a healthy state of mind. And the only other bed in our home, we had bunk beds in our, in our room and my parents had their bedroom. And then there was the couch, of course. And rather than have him sleep on the couch, my parents uh, asked me and my brother to sleep in the same bed for a night and for him to go in the bottom bunk and me and my brother to go in the top bunk. And I, I'll never forget that night. We, again, we tell this story every time our, our big family kind of gets together and we're laughing and joking around. Um, but they stuck him in the bottom bunk. And so me and my brother, we try to go to sleep. Everything's fine at first. And within an hour or so, my uncle gets up and he starts talking to the wall. And he's talking to the wall like there is a person there and he's having a real conversation. And I, I think he was talking to his, his now separated wife. At some point, he opens up our closet and he starts talking into the closet. And as you can imagine, my brother and I, I think we were maybe in the ages of like 10 and 6, 9 and 5, somewhere in there. And we were scared to death. I didn't, I'd never experienced seeing mental illness up close until that night. And my uncle probably was harmless. He never, never touched us. He never said anything to us. He never made any effort that night to have any impact on us directly, but his behavior was scary as hell. And it was the first time in my life that I saw mental illness up close. And you you realize immediately that that's got to be a, a, a damn hard challenge to carry in this life. Yesterday, on Sundays, every Sunday, so it is, it is uh, November 16th. Yesterday was a Sunday. On every Sunday, just about, my oldest son and his wife, my daughter-in-law, I love them both to death. They, they have our first grandson, and this little guy just lights up my world. I love him. He is just a joy to interact with, and he, he gives me such an opportunity to feel pure love and to watch human development from the beginning stages. Here he is. He's just over a year old, and you see all these little milestones almost every day, something new, and certainly every week he's getting some new insight into the world where he interacts with the world differently. And it's an absolute joy to watch. My, my wife and I both adore him. And when they come over, we fix dinner and we watch the Cleveland Browns game if, if, if it's football season. And once in a while, we'll get a movie. And uh, in this, you know, yesterday we did get a movie and the movie was Words on Bathroom Walls. Um, I can't recommend enough. If you like Almost Awakened and you like the idea of human psychology... You like how we humans do human, how we, how we live out our humanity in the world. And if you're, if you're comfortable sitting in discomfort, because this movie was so uncomfortable. This movie was about a young man, just a, just a normal, average young man, teenage kid, who has hopes and dreams and aspirations of college, 
who takes his education seriously, smart kid, got the whole world in front of him. And, and suddenly he develops uh, schizophrenia. And for those who have dealt with somebody with schizophrenia, or maybe you have it yourself, or you've read a little bit into this mental uh, challenge, this disease, this disorder, you essentially lose touch with reality. Your, what sounds you hear, what things your eyes pick up aren't really there at times. And hence your reality gets fractured because you no longer know what to trust. You don't know how to trust. And these apparitions, um, these disturbances in your visual and audio cues, they can be overwhelming at times to the point where you start to lose touch with reality. Maybe at first you can tell yourself like that's not real. But as it becomes more significant and more significant, you begin to lose touch with what is real and what isn't, and you no longer know what to trust. And on the surface, if you don't know, you simply don't know. And as you watch these experiences unfold as an outsider, so if you barely know anything about schizophrenia and you don't really know anybody who deals with it and you've really not sat with the discomfort of what that exactly looks like, then you get to go like, oh, you know, that's challenges. Maybe they give them some medicine. Maybe they make it better. Most people with schizophrenia, the schizophrenia cannot really be treated. Medicines sometimes work for a little while and then they stop. Sometimes the medicines cause severe side effects that are almost as bad as the schizophrenia itself. And, some, and, and for the most part, the medicines don't really work at all and certainly don't eliminate the schizophrenia. If, like, if, if you could say like... I, I, my my kid is going to have one of these hundred challenges. My kid is going to be born deaf. He's going to be born without an arm. He's going to be born, you know, whatever it is. We can name, you know, Down syndrome, um, born with some rare disease, gets cancer at the age of 10. Like, like list a hundred of the worst things somebody could be born with. I would almost take any of those over somebody being born with, that's going to end up developing schizophrenia. And so we watched this movie yesterday, Words on Bathroom Walls. And again, I'm just going to tell you, watch it, please. Uh, we got it out of Redbox. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. This movie, I would rate a 10 out of 10, but I was so deeply bothered and disturbed during the whole movie. As I'm watching somebody who cannot help but be fractured from reality, it became crystal clear to me that that is a life that no one, no one, should have to endure. And this young man ends up, he ends up having a romantic interest and he tries his best to keep his shit together. He tries so hard to, to uh, ignore these things within his vision and his hearing. And sometimes they get the best of him, but it's this constant thing he has to deal with. And you begin to recognize that the hopelessness and the loss of will to live that comes with having a challenge of this sort. So everybody, please go out and see it. And then, and then once you see it, reach out to me and let me know what you think. And if anybody in the audience has someone in their family that has schizophrenia, or if you have schizophrenia, I'd love to do an interview where we can share with the audience just how difficult this is. This also reminded me, I've, and, and I've been reminded of this several times in the last couple of months, and, and I want to be really careful here. I have somebody extremely close to me, um, and I'll leave it at that, that when they were younger, when they were younger and uh, around the ages of 10, 11, 12, they, something, something 
something snapped, something changed, something shifted, something moved, and they lost touch of reality. And I was so close to the situation that I had some responsibility to try and help and to assist in this situation. And so this person comes to me and to my wife, and they share that they are seeing people. They see two little kids in their home. There are adults in this home. There are other children in this home. Nobody else sees it. It's, it's an apparition of sorts, whether real or imaginary. To me, my skeptical mind understands it's imaginary. But this person saw two little children, and these two little children told certain kinds of stories. And these two little children played by certain kinds of rules. And they even had a book which had the rules in it. And uh, this person who was struggling with these visuals and these, this audio didn't want this to be there, but also didn't know how to separate what they were seeing, what was real and what wasn't. It got worse. This person began to, as they look out the window, see large masses of people walking down the street and whispering to this person as they looked out the window. And they would run, or sometimes they would walk, and they would, they would always be whispering about this person I knew who was watching them. As this person dealt with this for about a year, and then there were other kinds of episodes after that, but during this year, it was as, as, a, as not the person, but as a person who shared some responsibility to help. I felt hopeless. I felt depression. I felt... Like this, if this was going to continue, this was going to be the hardest thing I was ever going to have to deal with. And I saw up close and personal what a illness like schizophrenia, the angst and disturbances it can cause within a home and within a family. And I would not wish that on my worst enemy. It is dealing with somebody with that kind of mental uh, disease, illness, disturbance, to me is one of the most serious things anybody can ever live with and be part of. And it reminded me, I wanted to share all that, you know, we're only 20 minutes in. I wanted to share all that to simply say, like, you never know how hard someone's life is. And every home, every family, every person, every couple, every group has its issues but you never know what someone else's life is like, and you don't know what their challenges look like. When people suffer with de severe depression, and yet they have access to education, they have access to a decent job, they have access to the things that the rest of us can kind of lose ourselves into and relax and enjoy, and yet this person can't shake themselves out of it. And, it, and you want to walk up and go, hey, put your big boy pants on. What I do when I start to feel sad is I do ABC. Why don't you try that? And the reality is you don't have a fucking clue. Not a clue. You can't even begin to even lean into, to sit with, to sense how shitty it can be if things are just... And, and it's not just when things go bad. It's when things are going bad and you do not see an end in sight. That's when it really gets ugly. And so my call today, my call today is to, as you listen to this podcast, to start to look around the room just a little differently. When you're at a, a gathering with a group, when you're sitting down with your own kids, when you're talking to your wife, when you're around people and you hear that someone else is having a hard time, 
rather than make the judgments that your ego normally does to go, damn it, why don't they just do what I do? Why don't they just do what other people do to get out of this funk? Would you try to look at it differently? Would you just realize that every single human being on this planet is completely different in how they do things inside their mind? And that some challenges that people have, no one should have to deal with. There's no hope in sight. There's no easy way out. And that shit is really hard. Can you look around the room and just see other human beings trying to escape the shit in their life? And some of us have less of it. I'll tell you, I've never, never had a severe bout of depression. I've felt some depression over the last couple of weeks because I've had something going on in my life that I have felt to some extent has no end in sight. And it could rise up at any moment and, uh, and slap me in the face. And even with that, I would not call what I'm feeling severe depression. I've never felt suicidal ideology. I've never been in a emotional hole for more than a day or two. And for the you know first 38 years of my life, I looked around and said, guys, just get up, put your pants on, tie your shoes and get out there. And it's just not that simple. Can you have more empathy? Can you, can you try when you feel your ego rising up in judgment? Can you try to set your ego off to the side? Can you try to look at you know, human beings and realize that some of these humans are really having a hard time and they really don't have a good solution in sight? And that shit is real. I hope today's episode is of some value to you. I hope you go out and watch the movie and then you sit with some of the things I've said today. I think we all deserve to be cut a break when we have hard days. I think we all deserve a break and we deserve some connection and we certainly deserve some empathy when we humans are trying to share with other humans just how hard some of this shit is. To all of you out there who struggle with some form of mental illness or challenge, some sort of physical illness or challenge, for those of you who are taking care of these people, my heart goes out to you. If you need someone to listen, if you need somebody to talk to, I hope you have people close to you, but if you don't, I'm happy to give you my ear. No judgment. Life is too damn hard for us to add to it by being harder on each other. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.